One too many. One not enough. One too many. One not enough, baby. I don't get it. I don't care. You know we both are wrong. No, I love you. Hi everyone, welcome to I Don't Get It, uh, the podcast uh, about contemporary dance in Edmonton. Yes, um, my name is Fonda. Um, and I am Paul. Um, and I haven't been here in a while, or one episode's time, but several weeks. Yes, in, in it was time. several weeks. The last episode covered like a, a large chunk of time, two large performances really, which we were very um, grateful and happy to have Trent Wilkie come and uh, pinch it for you. Totally, although I was definitely bummed to miss those shows. Uh, but you were also in like some really cool places, yeah, so whatever. Yeah, hey man, Winnipeg rules. <laughs> so does Vancouver. That's where I was. We saw a show. We saw uh, a, we back. We saw a very interesting show tonight. Very unique show that we've uh, something I've never really seen anything right. quite like uh, before. Integrated dance. Uh, it was a, a production called a Disintegration. Uh, it was put on as a collaboration between the Mindhive Collective, uh, which is sort of a radical um, art collective in town, I guess, and uh, and Cripsy Dance, who are uh, integrated dance. Um, yeah, Cripsy, if you're wondering about the acronym, is a Collaborative Radically Integrated Performer Society in Edmonton, which I think is pretty an, and like a pretty interesting thing because they're using um, Cripsy and Crip uh, in, in a really kind of naturalized way and something that, you know, we sort of see as a rather pejorative term sometimes. Right. Uh, however, the, the point is to, to celebrate and and, and showcase uh, non-normative bodies that we don't usually see on stages for a variety of reasons. Access and uh, stereotypically what the people and bodies that tend to gravitate towards performance. Cripsy is uh, a broader um, look at, at different bodies. To Even just to walk in, it was a really interesting performance. There was a lot of notes about how just walking into the theater, how they'd made it more accessible. Um, and also uh, certain seating for American Sign Language priority, um, all that kind of stuff. And it was actually an interesting piece to walk into just sort of knowing that, you know, like, yes, you're going to see something a little bit different and it's meant to be completely accessible. Yeah. And you, it, it kind of threw for me into perspective a lot of the ways that other theaters are actually not accessible at all. Yeah, I'd, I'd interviewed um, a lot of the people involved in this show uh, for, for an article in View this week, and they talked about the fact that there are a lot of theaters in town they can't even consider doing shows in because they're not wheelchair accessible or, or otherwise accessible um, to, to non-normative bodies, whereas the PCL Studio Theater is um, in the, the Arts Barns. But as well, uh, ex uh, accessibility in a sort of broader sense as well. There were bus tickets there if you needed them. Yeah. All the 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 finance. There was childcare available if you needed it. Everything yeah. was pay what you can. There and there were a lot of notes saying things like, "If you need to, please leave the performance at any time," um, which is a total faux pas in any other theater. Rearrange the front rows, um, you know, for for wheelchair accessibility for or for any other accessibility should you need to. <laughs> it was a completely open performance in that in the way that like none of the rules that really apply to the strict parameters of like sit in your seat and watch this show <laughs> you is, know which is yeah how how generally we experience uh, art in in a theater setting whether or not it's theatrical whether it's dance whether it's uh, a, a lecture it's sort of like sit there in this particularly regimented sort of shape of a space and and watch in in this way yeah. Um, so it was, it was neat, yeah, just structurally to have that as the baseline. Yeah, just a baseline for, like, physical accessibility. Like, okay, yeah, I don't need to feel uncomfortable as a person in this show because, you know, 
whatever. I can I can sit where I need to and, and I can leave if I want and I can have a bus ticket and my kid can be taken care of. And I can actually see an ASL interpreter if I need one, right. which, which is great. So the performance was broken into three uh, chapters, I guess. The first one is called Swallowed the Fly. Mm-hmm. And it was choreographed and performed by Lindsay Eels. And I quite like the soundscape to this one. It actually had um, a lot of narrative and lines from Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, and it was sort of exploring the the concept of, of mental illness and, and how that, both internally how that, that sort of manifests, and then sort of the, the, the uh, contradictory information that can come from outside for people who are, who are going through something like that and, and how that can be even more maddening um, in, a, in its own way. Um, and so the Alice in Wonderland theme was a really interesting way of looking at that, looking at mental health, and not only that, but sort of the medicalization of mental health and how we take care of those people or don't. Mm-hmm. And overall, you could tell that it was a very uh, kind of an overarching conversation about depression um, and mental illness or mental instability or issues, mm-hmm. I guess. Um, but there was a, there was an obvious struggle between the performer and um, what her doctors were saying, basically, yeah. which played really interesting dialogue between Alice in Alice in Wonderland and I believe it's the caterpillar who keeps asking her these who, who are, are you, you? Yeah, questions, yeah. right? But and also she keeps, um, you know, what I found um, also really kind of meaningful and what I kind of identified with in the thing was just the talk about Alice's size. And oh, yeah. uh, uh, mm-hmm. I think that um, particularly as a woman in a body, any woman in a body, and especially a dancer in a body, you are constantly um, faced with what size you are and what size you aren't. And just the the reminder of that, like, oh, I'm, I'm 10 minutes and I'm a different size. And like Alice in Wonderland actually says those things. Mm-hmm. And those were, were reiterated in the performance, which I thought was a really powerful and meaningful connection to make because of the performer herself was going through um, a lot of motions. She was she was trying to walk a straight line yeah, the whole there, time. Yeah, there was this taped yeah. blue line on a diagonal through the stage and it was sort of the representation, I think, of normalcy and she would sort of try and tiptoe along it the way she would while all this contradictory information was being fed to her. My favorite sort of um, refrain within, within all that dialogue was sort of, don't do drugs take your medication. Don't do drugs. <laughs> take your medication. And some of the more contradictory things about that and about womanhood and, and feminism and sort of these these issues that were, mm-hmm. yeah, it would sort of seem to be like you'd be getting all bombarded with different sorts of information in the character. And it's like, well, what's knocking her off kilter here? Is it is it uh, instability from within or is it all these things from the outside and the external and how we're, we're dealing with this? Yeah, and what was kind of interesting about it was that it got it, all of the things that, that she was saying in terms of like, you know, like take your medication, are you doing illicit drugs, mm-hmm. was still actually like rooted right back to this very old sort of fairy tale that we have, Alice in Wonderland. They're saying the exact same thing. So I, I thought I thought it was well done in that way. I thought it was pretty meaningful. It was It was more of a performance art piece I think than like kind of a the pure dance piece but there was definitely like emphasis on the body hardcore in it and as you know like I think particularly as a woman's body because they were talking a lot about like be a good daughter be a good girl be a good wife what does it mean to be a good wife and they're talking a lot of they're a lot about women's sexuality yeah and that was maybe one of the most interesting threads in the whole show for me I think a lot of things a lot of a lot of the the um, there were monologues sort of placed throughout where one of the the performers would be in a spotlight and it would sort of be these lines of dialogue which were obviously 
common questions they get or, or mm-hmm. things that they're asked that are sort of impolite, but people don't think about it, um, are, are brought to their attention and they're sort of responding to them. And a lot of them come down to, you know, like, are you ready for motherhood? Is that something you actually want? You know, Ugh, and sort of these yeah. like really mm-hmm. offensive, um, you know, declarations that against women and it's like well it's their it's mm-hmm. not your it's their right you know it's yeah. it's not your place to determine are you ready for motherhood what do you mean you don't know if you want to be one like they it's the, like in all of the performances actually because and i think that maybe as women performers who are very conscious of their bodies and that their bodies are different this becomes like a completely different question it's a question that frankly i ask myself a lot and i know that a lot of women um, in my circle ask themselves all the time but with you know with other physical factors to take into account those questions I don't even know if they're heavier or not it was it was one of the most fascinating per- parts of the performance for me for sure just to actually think that you know every every woman goes through that question <laughs> I guess right, you know right. we could probably cut all this part <laughs> no this is interesting I think we should talk about it says a dude <laughs> Um, says the dude. <laughs> says the dude in this conversation. But it is, I mean, it's sort of these these sort of like, um, you know, uh, gender roles are, are cast on us and, you know, we're supposed to reproduce and raise, a, even now, there's still the, sort of the idea of sort of the white picket fence nuclear family and that's mm. sort of mm-hmm. the normalcy of what it is to sort of uh, be be adult sexual human beings. It's like that's the eventual stage as you pass on your, your genetics to a new generation. Yeah, and one of the really interesting parts about Swallowed the Fly was that uh, Lindsay Eels, the depressed performer character, um, says that she's getting a lot of shit from people around her because she's actually feeling attracted to another woman and feeling a romantic connection with another woman. And that was something that, you know, the character started feeling good about, but everyone else started feeling everyone else in her life didn't feel quite the same way and also and that weight about like well what about reproducing mm-hmm. ended up being even worse yeah um, yeah and it's like it's not it's not for people on the outside to decide mm-hmm. you know it's and a then, very personal thing so the second piece which was actually for me quite the highlight because i thought that brooke Leafso did a fantastic job in unraveling the disabled she came out with a mass of bright orange electrical uh extension cords and she started actually like unraveling them and like t- like trailing them across the stage now um brooke is a, a performance artist that we have seen um before at latitude 53 and i think visualize she has um done a lot of work in town to bring this type of performance to to the forefront and i think that she's actually quite good at it because her performance was very symbolic um all of the props that she used i felt like they helped me understand what her body feels like to right. her. And she she has mild cerebral palsy. And that's what the piece is exploring and, and looking at is sort of some of the, the challenges she's faced during that and sort of the process of, of you know, her parents wanting her to go to physio and sort of um, these elastic, um, I guess, bands. Oh, the, physi- the physiotherapy bands were probably the, the night, the 
point in the night that I got, I think, on on the brink of emotional was watching her as she's got these physiotherapy bands around her ankles. Um, the piece goes on and on about how one of uh, Brooke's largest challenges with her own body are to put her heels down. And you can hear the voices of doctors and therapists and everything saying, Brooke, put your heels down. Brooke, put your heels down. Why are you crying? And it's, it, it, it gets quite um, overwhelming just as an audience member to hear those things over and over again even in a short amount of time you can't imagine what it's like to hear over years I'm sure and then to see the performer with these bands around her ankles uh, working to try not to put her heels down necessarily but just having these bands around her ankles period and how, yeah and how that sort of impedes and affects movement and mm-hmm. and and the struggling with them um, yeah, and then, you know, she in her piece, she sort of looks at and, and discusses, like, sexuality again and mm-hmm. and, and also um, just, I guess, her own arc of, of, of acceptance, perhaps, um, and sort of looking at, like, how she how she's sort of sharpened her mind like a, like a fine point, I think is, I'm not sure that's the exact wording I'm paraphrasing, but, um, and, and sort of can you, you know, uh, can you separate the mind and the body and, and these sorts of things, you know? Um, yeah, it was really, it was really fascinating. It was really um, excellently, excellently performed. There, the mm-hmm. prop, the props that were used, high heels were were put on at one point. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. there was again a really, a really interesting and effective use um, of of props to to sort of mm-hmm. highlight what she's saying and what what she's looking at. Yeah, particularly after she sort of emphasizes what her own condition is and what mm-hmm. her own reality is within her body. Um, I think, you know, doing doing a podcast about dance and talking about dance and talking about movement. Um, this piece was really about movement and it was really about living in bodies that move in different ways than we're used to and, mm-hmm. and in, in non-conventional ways. And it was, um, I don't know if they meant it to be as like, as sort of like a didactic or a teaching piece, but I felt like I learned quite a lot. Yeah. But without it feeling preachy, which is, yeah. I guess the great, uh, one thing I know that, that they're all very conscious of is the idea of um, most narratives in culture about disability, at least in Western culture, are are the inspirational story, sort of overcoming issues um, or overcoming the adversity of this this body. And they're saying that's not, you know, that's not what this is about. This mm-hmm. is this is their normal, mm-hmm. um, and this is uh, and you know it's not normative to us, but. Uh, that is their normal to them. That's that's the the baseline. Yeah, and what was interesting, especially about Brooke's piece, was that she had this part where she sort of really deconstructed the word disabled, and um, it was kind mm-hmm. of a Q and A with someone else saying like, "Well, when do you feel disabled?" And she says, "Well, when you ask me about being disabled, because right. like, normally I just feel." normal and abled right and um, she also talks about when she failed able-bodied you know when mm-hmm. she taught herself to ride a bike you know in, in her 20s and these sorts of things you mm-hmm. know or she felt disabled when there was uh you know uh what was the instance it was something to where you know like uh oh yes she's buying a coffee and the lid was 12 feet away yeah yeah hot you coffee know? filled to the brim you know yeah 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 and it's, so it's just something that you kind of like normally I would just to- completely not think about it. But now that I think about it, I'm like, yeah, that is really stupid. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know? absolutely. And yeah, so it was really interesting to see um, these sorts of narratives and stories being told with mm-hmm. bodies, um, but also just from that perspective where mm-hmm. it's like, this is what the normal is. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, this isn't like triumph over adversity. This is, 
I want to have a meaningful life in, in this is my yeah, meaningful this is life. This is and, my meaningful and this, life. Yeah. And this is how I do it every day. And it's not any less meaningful. It's just different. Okay, great. So the third piece um, was uh, sort of a convergence of uh, of three of the the performers: um, Kelty, uh, Kelsey Acton, who we hadn't seen yet uh, in performance, as well as uh, Lindsay and uh, Danielle Piers. Um, and this was called Disintegrated Dance, and this was probably the the purest movement piece of the three of them. Um, Danielle Piers is a uh, a former Paralympic athlete. Um, and so she was moving around in, in sort of this uh, not customized wheelchair, but perhaps customized wheelchair, um, and, and and dancing in, in tandem with the other two. And what I found was really neat was sort of, um, it's called disintegrated dance. Um, this is in, in brackets in this case. Uh, but they sort of took apart the wheelchair during the show and kept yeah. dancing and kept moving within it. Um, and, and in twos and threes and um, in, in different groupings. But yeah, it was sort of neat to watch them uh, take apart this thing and and then keep moving. Yeah, they were like taking apart this sort of mechanized device. And and uh, at one point, Danielle does get onto those sort of like forearm crutches. I think yeah. is that's what they're called. I, I don't really so. know. I think that's the best <laughs> term for them. So um, she gets onto these crutches and is dancing with the other dancers. But also there was some pretty like uh, very high um, high intensity movement moments where the uh, she and the other dancers were spinning around and they were actually like basically throwing her in her wheelchair like across the stage and spinning around which you know that's that's a movement thing that's actually not possible otherwise unless you're in a chair like that mm -hmm. um so there were some really interesting movement moments uh like that that were um incredibly unique and um also what i really enjoyed about this last bit of the piece this the disintegrated dance was the um the amount of trust between the performers mm -hmm. and uh just actually there was pure connection between them too there was yeah. a lot of eye contact and actual um very meaningful um motions between um the three of them which i thought was i thought it was really great um Maybe it is. Maybe it was because you know it's it's something that you know, like you do see in the ballet and you do see in other contemporary dance pieces, dancers making eye contact and things like that. But the trust in this seemed so. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not irregular, but just something that I know I ha I haven't seen that much before. Yeah, and I think um, one interesting thing uh, to go back to the space as well as being so close to it, you were sort of like, there was seating maybe two rows deep on three sides of the stage. Mm -hmm. um, so you were very close to everything that was happening on stage, which was partially the byproduct of being in this this very accessible space, but it mm -hmm. also made, yeah, their, their sort of emotional connections as performers very accessible to the audience to see. Yeah, they st and they start using at one point they started using the crutches and also the wheelchair itself as kind of a tool to connect with each other mm. um, and a tool to connect or a tool to create different shapes and structures and and unique movements that you know you frankly don't really get to see I mean two two dancers actually being sort of perched on a wheelchair and rotating around is not something that you really kind of like get to conventionally um, build in a ballet or another show. And this was something that in its uniqueness sort of sort of also it, it was unique enough that it looked interesting and it was a neat dance move. But it also kind of like spoke to the the usefulness and the meaningfulness of kind of, you know, 
the the body in the chair itself and how the body kind of has tools that it can use to um, expand itself and expand what it is capable of. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. Again, and sort of dismantling this wheelchair, um, but the movement never stops. Where you know you realize that this is a tool, but it's not the end all be all. You know, it's not the only thing that makes movement possible. These people find a way to uh, to to perform and to keep this movement flowing and 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 very watchable. You know, even as they they take apart the wheelchair. And, and separate it. It sort of like shrinks down, but then it becomes a, a different sort of thing altogether. Yeah, um, I think I think overall we kind of we, I I want to thank Cripsy, and I want to actually thank um, the the Mind Hive Collective for doing something like this and for taking the plunge and being brave to program like a, sh- a, a like a, a show that is actually ticketed and you know gets people out to see it because I think that a lot of this stuff ends up getting sort of lost in festival programming or other things and 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 people don't know that it's really out there a lot uh, and I think that you know um, Cripsy maybe though it may not have always had that name uh, I know Lindsay Eels and those dancers have been doing things for years together and Brooke uh, with Mindhive I, I hope they continue and I hope that they keep dancing and like keep getting on stages because it's really important to see stuff like this and it's important to actually get a sense of of what's capable what what bodies are capable of because you know i mean even as dancers who like <laughs> don't have uh a lot of training or anything like that it's just i think that dance goes beyond being you know like a pro and having academic training and things like that and not to say that any of these dancers don't because frankly actually there's quite a lot of education that is behind this these kinds of performances are very important because it's not just about being a professional dancer or going through a professional program i think that dance has to be for everyone you know it has to be uh like at your ukrainian weddings and when you're a kid in ballet or gymnastics and it has to be you know uh dance is about how we relate to our own bodies and ourselves and this was just a fantastic illustration of bodies that were we're not non-normative we haven't heard all of their stories and i was really grateful to hear the stories that we did today there is a very much uh a ubiquity to the the sorts of performers we see on stage in terms of in terms of just sort of like physically um um, uh, sort of uh, what their their bodies are as a baseline, and yeah, that's sort of one type of story. And there um, there are plenty of other types of stories that don't get told very often. And yeah, so it was very nice to to see that and to to have that opportunity. And again, it was we both felt I think we learned a lot watching this, uh, mm-hmm. but it wasn't in sort of a, a didactic um, like finger wagging way. It was in a really organic and and open way. Yeah, in um, a, a very natural way. And frankly, one of the more sort of um, challenging podcasts we've had to record just because not not challenging in terms of watching the dance and then we didn't like it, but mm-hmm. challenging in terms of how are we allowed to talk about this? You know, as two able bodied as two able bodied people, um, or two normative yeah, sure. bodied people. Mm-hmm. Um, what are we? What are we allowed to say? Um, and I, I think that it it called into question a lot of things that it was supposed to. Uh, and so that uh, for that Cripsy and Mindhive, we uh, we thank you very much. 
Okay. Um, cool. so, so what's coming up, Fonda, in the next so, little bit? So many things, you guys. Yeah, November's a blitz month. I can't even believe I'm doing this today, frankly. Um, but Fluid Festival is an amazing dance festival run by Springboard in Calgary. We just have to mention it. It is running October until October 26th. It's on now. If you're in Calgary... You should be there checking it out. Yes, you should be. And well, what are you doing listening to a podcast when there's an amazing dance festival going on in your city? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can listen to this podcast later. You can download it and put <laughs> it in your iPod whenever you want. And Great. next up after that... Uh, we have Drumsy, which is sort of a celebration of Egyptian and Middle Eastern music and dance that's happening at Convocation Hall in the University of Alberta, October 24th and 25th. Uh, Alberta Ballet has their uh, presentation of Three Musketeers in Edmonton running November 7th and 8th. Yeah, and then uh, the Toy Guns uh, Gala. Uh, the Toy Guns uh, had their their very successful Fringe run, um, and they're they're doing a sort of fundraiser gala on November fifteenth. Our dear pals, the Good Women Dance Collective, uh, running Convergence, their annual showcase, uh, November 20th through 23rd, which I believe we or I or part of us will be doing a talk back at on you, one of those performances. Yeah, you, did it, you did it last year. Yeah. Yes, I did. And it was great fun. Um, and uh, I believe that the program will probably be amazing this year so you should go check that out yeah and then we have the the prairie dance circuit uh, the annual prairie dance circuit coming through town november 22nd and 23rd and that's with brian webb dance collective check. um that that's a heavy weekend that november 20th Packed. uh through through the 30th actually almost stacked with dance because you know what else is happening paul oh i know what else is happening Flash dance, the Mother musical. Flipping flash dance. <laughs> I was gonna swear, but I was like, "How do we? Is this a PG podcast? I don't care." I don't know. Motherfucking think, flash dance, the musical. I think I said shit earlier, so we're already in the bad yeah. iTunes at gig. the Jubilee Auditorium, yeah. uh, flash, November twenty fifth to thirtieth. Yeah, is flash, flash dance, dance is running November twentieth to thirtieth. We're gonna try and figure out something cool to do mm. for that. Like I don't know, maybe everybody's favorite dance movie mm. showdown or something like that. Confession: I've never seen flash dance. Or oh, Footloose. Oh my God! What of it? Oh, oh, help Paul. me! Help you! Show help, me things! Help you, Lord! Get out of this blanket fort right now! Go watch some dance. I don't get it is a podcast produced by Pablino, Fonda Mithrush, and Andrew Paul. It was recorded in a blanket fort in the Tall House on Alberta Avenue in Edmonton, Alberta. Our website is idontgetitdance.com. You can follow us on Twitter at I Don't Get It Dance, and you can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Our theme song is Mountain Time by Ghibli. Follow his music and check him out at ghibli.bandcamp.com. Sit here thinking.